Gang, I want to tell you about legendary Austin photographer Todd V. Wolfson. Over the last 30 years, his work has appeared in such publications as Rolling Stone, People Magazine, Cream Magazine. He's shot 140 Austin Chronicle covers. He's won Best Photographer in Austin five times. He's shot such greats as Gary Clark Jr., Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughn, Patty Griffin, Kelly Willis, Charlie Sexton, Spoon, Frank Zappa, John Doe, Daniel Johnston, me, and so many more. So if you're a band or an artist looking for new photos for promotion or album art, or you're an actor looking for headshots or a family looking for portraits or a model looking for new photos, or you're looking for new photos for your business or restaurant, or maybe you want intimate boudoir photos, look no further than Todd V. Wolfson. You can find him at Todd V. Wolfson Photography dot tumblr dot com or at todd v wolfson at gmail dot com that's todd v wolfson legendary austin based photographer let's get down hey gang i want to thank you for listening to this episode of how did i get here i know you have a lot of choices out there and the fact that you're listening to this episode right now is not lost on me so thank you i'm not sure what platform you're listening on but whatever platform you're on give us a follow and if you like what you hear leave us a rating it takes just a second and it means the world to me plus it really helps the show so thank you in advance and remember the last 100 episodes of how did i get here are available on all streaming services now enjoy the show Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys are all having a good week so far. That's right. This show's dropping on Wednesday because we have three shows coming out this week, gang. Three shows, baby. Um, so, uh, you know what? I've always wanted to say this. Happy hump day, y'all. Happy hump day, y'all. Like one of those uh, classic rock radio guys. Happy. It's hump day, y'all. Hump day happy hour. You know what I mean? Like all the hump day stuff. <laughs> I like saying it. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you guys are having a good week so far. Uh, getting back to work after a long weekend can sometimes get get a little funky. You know, I've been trying to get back to work, getting ready for the Skyrocket show that we have on Saturday with this horn section, learning all these songs and realizing that there's shit that I forgot to learn. Like as soon as I learn something and go off and start something else, all of a sudden like, bing, I'm like, oh no, I forgot I got to do this part in that song. Anyway, so I sat down a little while ago and I made some notes so that I, I covered all, right? Pretty smart, pretty smart, <laughs> pretty smart. Hey gang, I want to talk to you about something that, that happened that was real weird. That doesn't normally happen with this show. This morning, I opened my Instagram and looked at my messages. I was messaging back and forth with someone and I noticed that uh, there were some uh, requested messages, a bunch of them. So I went and looked at them and a lot of them, there was a, there was a handful of messages of, of people speaking out against Friday's guest, Trashy Annie, from episode 1,333, uh, that came out on Friday. Trashy Annie was my guest. She, her record is actually called Sticks and Stones. And she called it Sticks and Stones because since she, since she started playing a mere three years ago and putting out music and having a social media presence as an artist, 
She has been harassed by people on the internet. And that's no fucking lie. She talked about it on the show. The record's called Sticks and Stones. On the back of the album, there's just a whole bunch of quotes of, of shit that, like messages from people saying horrible shit to her and comments and stuff like that. These people did not comment on my thing and I don't follow them and they don't follow me. I did go and look up all these people that wrote this mean shit, but there was a handful of people that wrote, spoke out against Trashy Annie. They, they do not like her. They hate the way she looks. They do not like a middle-aged woman getting out there and, and, and playing music in a half shirt out of the blue in her mid-40s. While I personally, and I'm sure a lot of the rest of my audience, applauds that shit. You know, I heard from some people that, that really liked that. They were inspired by our conversation. But what I was noticing is that after I heard all that stuff from her, I couldn't really imagine what it was that she was talking about, right? I tried to. You know, I have empathy. But... I, I didn't really understand it until I, I opened those messages today. And I saw really, you know, uh, there was about six messages. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of messages for people that I don't think listened to the episode. I don't think they, I, I just, you know, we collaborated on the post on Instagram. All these messages were on Instagram. So they saw me on there and they wrote me to tell me that she's horrible not to have her on my show. They didn't say anything specific about her musically that sucks. They just said she sucks. And, 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 and stuff like that. It was mean shit and getting a taste of it and seeing what it is in that world that she has to live in constantly. I'm kind of shocked and surprised that she has decided to make this life change from being a chiropractor with a successful practice to, uh, to being a musician that's being, uh, shot. People are shooting arrows at her all the time and trying to knock her down from where she is for, for just having the courage to get out there and do something cool. So I applaud you, Annie. And I think you're doing a great job and I think you should continue to make music. Okay. Yeah. You heard it from me. I don't think the people that, that said that shit about her are listening. And I know that my, my audience doesn't come out and speak out against someone and say that someone shouldn't have been on my show. I'm a little bit stopped up. I think the allergies are coming. Fuck. Dude, when that cedar comes, it it sucks, man. You guys have that here? If you live in if you live in Austin, Central Texas, you might suffer from cedar like I do. And I often wonder why singers, myself included, even live here because of how horrible it is allergy wise. If you're listening to that and you're thinking about moving here, maybe you should take that to heart. Because really the allergies do suck. I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I can hear it in my voice. All right, that's enough about allergies and trashy Annie and all that stuff. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Wednesday, having a great uh, rest of your week. Gang, I have a great show for you guys today. My friend Evan Crowley from alternative pop rock band. I don't want to say pop rock, but alternative pop band. St. Loretto is my guest on the show today. Now, I had the good fortune of going to see them like, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago at Mohawk here. They were playing with my friend Boer. And uh, it was a fucking great show. I was blown away by the show. I was blown away by the songs. I went up to Evan after the show. I invited him onto the podcast. And uh, their brand new album, Blooming, it's out now. Wherever it is you stream and download music. It's a good, solid album, man. 16 songs. He worked over at Orb on stuff. He worked with my friend Matt Noveski on some stuff. There's a single called Feel It. I'm going to play it on the show. It's great, man. This record's great. I, I love this band so much that the interview starts off with me telling uh, Evan that if he ever needs a guitar player, this is the kind of band, like I speak their language. This is in my wheelhouse of music. It's like uh, whatever, whatever, like, you know, extension of all of the great music that I love 
from like the 80s on that involves rock and drum machines and synthesizers while involving guitars, but also having great hooks, fantastic choruses, guitar lines that you can sing along to. I love Evan Crowley's songs. I love these recordings. Uh, uh, He's a fantastic artist and you can see him live. You can. You can see him Friday, December 8th at Hole in the Wall. That's next Friday, December 8th at Hole in the Wall. He'll be playing with the band Nolo, who are going to be on the show next week. You'll hear from them. They're also a fantastic uh, alternative pop band. Evan is a great songwriter and a great hang. We have a fantastic conversation about his journey in life and in music. And uh, so without further ado, here is my friend Evan Crowley from the band St. Loretto. Let's get down. Yeah, I have to say this one thing. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of music that comes through here, and mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'm like, I wonder if I should tell him and not be weird. But like, <laughs> if you ever need a guitar player, like that is the language I speak. Oh yeah, that's like, awesome. Is that you on there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I sort love of that. Did all the guitars, and this is the first record I did that I had like a lot of backing band stuff. So like, I had um my buddy Clayton who we've been playing music for a long time together and that's like a whole nother long story but he um played drums on pretty much everything that wasn't like programming um and then I had Alec Jazduski Jazduski uh play bass for me um and he plays live for me sometimes I, I have like a weird Oklahoma band and an Austin band okay. um and so like I, I saw the Austin band though right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's who I saw him so Alec, great show too, by the way. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Alec played bass on most of that record, but in the past, like I p- played most of the instruments on the records that I have. Um, but for this one, I, I feel like I kind of, whatever music is kind of trending doing, I kind of tend to try to do something different. And I feel like I had just been listening to so much program stuff and so much like quantized stuff. I wanted to get away from that and write a record that felt like if you listen to it from front to back, it there's like times where it starts to feel like it could kind of come off the rails at any moment. And yeah. it never really does necessarily. Yeah. But um, I kind of wanted that like live, uh, not perfect feel to sure. it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was cool because we did a lot of like... Um, sort of taking demos that I'd made and then sort of trying different versions of it and then make like building it into something that could be more live from the demos, uh, from the demos. Yeah. So I kind of wrote all the songs and got them as best as I could. And, and generally that's kind of how I'll do it. And then I'll, if I have somebody play the part, I'm kind of an asshole and I'll be like, I I don't know if I can cuss, but, uh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) But I'll be like, Oh, we got to play it this way. And then, you know, but I've kind of learned to let go of that a lot. And so I kind of build an idea and then I kind of communicate that to whoever's playing. And I'm like, hey, I really want, this is what I really love about what I did and do whatever you want, but just like, please keep the, the sort of like foundational idea of what's there right. and like the feeling or, or whatever it is that I like about it. And right. 
everybody I work with is so talented, so they're great at doing that. But a, a lot of times, because I've been in that same position, like I've done records in this, not in this room, but like with this shit. In yeah, another yeah. Room. But um, it it's hard because you you get people that are way better than you at like drums, and you're like, no, no, no dude, check it out. It's like this. Make <laughs> it really bad. Like, oh, I want it worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do this. Do exactly what I'm doing, but like a professional. Yeah. Well, we even had, it's funny because I'm like working on a song right now where intentionally like there's a part where the song breaks down and I wanted an orchestrated everybody fucks up at the same time. Yeah. Like, and then the song starts back up again for this lyrical moment. And like, everybody was like, so you want us to fuck up on purpose? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, because it fits the theme and the vocals. Like the song is kind of like talking about this theme that sort of like makes sense and i want the song to just break down in this one moment and then for it to just pick back up for the last chorus so it is kind of funny trying to like you know orchestrate that kind of a thing and yeah when you're working with musicians that are really talented it's like you know it's just all about communication and that's like what working on stuff is just communicating your idea and like hoping everybody can kind of rally around it but then make it their own and you know i don't ever want to like stifle creativity but i also like still want the the idea that i have to come across in the final vision of the song you know right right um there was oh uh it's weird because i kind of looked at the lineage like that night after you guys played uh Maybe not that night, maybe the next couple of days, I went and listened to stuff and I was like, this is, there's, there's a lineage to this band. And like, I feel like you guys are picking up where the killers had left off. Sure, like 20, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they were, they were kind of at giving a nod to 80s pop rock. Yeah. That had keyboards and guitars. Totally. Like, and drums and like a band playing, yeah. but it's still pop. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird because, like, I consider myself a pop artist, but when I think of pop, I'm I'm thinking like 1974. Oh in yeah, England. yeah, totally. Like, like yeah. T Rex. Well, for me, that's definitely been it. It's like I feel like, uh, you know, when I was younger, I like really loved a lot of like alternative music and punk rock music and all that stuff. But kind of at the core of all of that was pop. I mean, you know, it's like the Ramones were pop. Sure. Like yeah, bands yeah, like yeah. that. That it's yeah. like you could argue it's one thing or another, but at the end of the day, right like we like the catchy parts of the songs or the interesting sounds that sort of it's like made to catch our ear yeah um and you know there i don't think there's really any shame in that but a lot of those bands that i was listening to as i've gotten older and dug deeper and deeper i i kind of like started realizing where it was all kind of coming from and i mean you could debate sure back to the beginnings of humankind where music came from (laughs) or whatever but for me there was like this turning point where like new wave music in Manchester kind yes. of like, you have that had, Manchester like, 1984. Song yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that song, that song has a couple different themes, but that was such a nod to that to me where it was like, okay, this is what I've been looking for. Right. Like this is sort of like the foundation of, of all this music that I really love. It like kind of, it didn't start there, but it definitely found its stride there. Right. Yeah. And so, I had realized like where all this inspiration was coming from and kind of found that in 
you know, the, the scene that was going on there and I'd watched a lot of documentaries and a lot of bands that I really love had come from that time. I mean, you have like Joy Division and New Order and uh, Certain Ratio and like uh, Happy Mondays and like all this music that just had such a great, like yeah. it had such a great vision of what pop music could be in a different way. And it was, it wasn't cheese ball, but it right. was still pop music and it was interesting, weird, but still pop, you know? Well, even like Oasis. Oh yeah. St- still carries that thing just in it with a different, with a different arsenal. Totally. You know and what I mean? And they're still bands, speaking that same language. Yeah. And there's bands now like the 1975 that have come out exactly. and they've tried to get into that because there's such a, uh, there's such an, a vibe with that scene yeah. that sort of like um, is now, you know, historical. I mean, the graphic design from that era, yeah, the pictures, the photos, yes. like all of the the movement that was happening there. And so, and just Factory Records in general was just such right. a wonky the, record label. The club was the Hacienda? Hacienda. Yeah. And before that, it was, I guess, the factory, right? And they had like Hacienda nights at the factory that Tony Wilson was putting on. What's um, the movie? Uh, 24-hour 24 party people, people yeah. yeah. That was what made me discover it. My, really? my old boss, yeah. She was like, you got to watch this mockumentary with Steve Coogan in it. And, you know, up to that point, I had seen like the Christopher Guest movies like Spinal Tap. And so I was really right. into uh, mockumentaries. And honestly, like it's such a compelling story. You know, he like story. writes out the contract in blood. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. basically like the bands get total creative freedom <laughs> at any point. They can tell the record label to fuck yeah, yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he like signs it in blood. And it's like there's just uh, and I'm sure some of that was like you know, who knows how true all of it was, but just sort of like the mystique and they the, kind of uh, remind you of that through the movie. Like, yeah. We don't know how true it's self-aware. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, but yeah. it kind of is like, I love yeah. the story, you know? Yeah, so, um, there's a scene in there that I never forget. And it's, it's, I think it's joy division or new order. Whenever they start recording and they record the crazy guy that carries a gun and shit. Oh yeah. Martin <laughs> Hannett. I Martin believe. Hannett, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they get the guy, the guy goes up to record his drums on the roof and he's like, well, how do I know when I'm finished? He's like, just play, man. We'll let you know. <laughs> you see the guy and it pans back and they're all leaving and going for a drink at the pub. Yeah. That's he's still so there. funny to me. He's like, yeah, like the hardest beat doing the 16th notes and everything. Yeah. It's so good. Well, and then there's that great moment that, um, just feels so transcendent of time where, they have the tape and they're going to listen to it in the car and the band doesn't really want to listen to it in the car. But Tony Wilson's just so excited to hear the walkouts, you know? And then, and it's just such an interesting dynamic because it's like, that made me think of, you know, when I was in high school and like the first time I was able to record my own music and go listen to it in the car. And there was just something to like, Oh my God, like this is so such a pivotal moment. And I'll never forget, you know, that like, being able to take what you did in this like studio place and then go hear it in the same way you listen to the radio and you hear yeah. all your favorite artists play. And it just made me feel like, man, like I could really maybe do this. Like, yeah. um, and so the movie has a lot of that stuff in it, but it also just really introduced me to a lot of the artists that like the artists I was listening to at the time were really into like, um, excuse me. Um, when I was in high school, I listened to a lot of like, post-hardcore music like this band Thursday and they were always were referencing Joy Division and I didn't you know the internet was a thing and and like uh Napster was a thing so I probably could have like looked it up then but I was just kind of like well I just like this one kind of music and you know I was right, not right. really open to it but as I got older um 
God, it was just so cool to get to like go and even Deftones and Placebo and a lot of these like uh, different Placebo, alternative that, bands. Yeah. That, uh, what was the record with friend in needs a friend indeed oh friend um weed is better I that That's song was pure morning fucking but records yeah that whole album like every and song on it is a fucking totally genius. they're all great and they yeah they, you're from that family tree too like, yeah yeah we're yeah totally we're kindred spirits i when i was 14 sorry in that photo behind you that's 1983 where it's a picture of me like standing there talking on my oh mic. yeah yeah um i i was like that's the music I was I was you know I was listening to that music actively at that time and just very upset that we couldn't sound because we were in eighth grade we couldn't yeah it was real hard back there was no YouTube there's no no I knew Mark Hallman the producer and I could call him and ask him questions and stuff but it still was real hard to figure oh yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I mean it's it's definitely something that we take for granted now like how accessible sounds are and how accessible like you could YouTube anything and look up how someone gets a guitar tone or that. But back then it was like you had your little SM57 and like a two track or four track tape machine or whatever. And it was just like impossible to get anything. So, you know, you do your best and then you maybe get into the studio for a couple of days and it was all just about trying to get it, you know, and it kind of is the same way now, but I feel like technology is so much more accessible for sure. So, so did you record this record at the orb? Um, so this one was kind of hodgepodge, like, and, and the record itself, um, was really weird because I had my last record before that, um, had come out passages, passages. Yeah. And I had started writing for this record. I'm kind of one of those always writing people. Uh Um, but I'm also not a, like, uh, I'm, I'm also kind of an annoyingly like, I write when inspiration strikes. Like a lot of people are really good about just like forcing themselves to write, but like, and, and I feel lucky I don't get writer's block a lot, but there's some times where things get tough. And for this last record, um, I started writing it after passages and passages had come out, you know, a little bit before the pandemic, we got to like play a lot of shows for that record. And then it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to get serious about recording this next record. And then the pandemic hit, I lost my job, blah, 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 blah. Where I were mean, you working then? Uh, I was doing a bunch of freelance music production out of orb. And, um, I was working, doing multimedia design for this art house cinema called Violet Crown. Oh, in yeah, town. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of cool because I was sort of getting started with my film journey. I'd met um, when I first moved to Austin, um, sort of like a, a really big mentor, uh, this guy, Bradley Beasley, who's also from Oklahoma. He did a lot of the early Flaming Lips music videos okay. and their documentary. And yeah, he's yeah. done a ton more, but that was sort of my introduction to him was um, being from Oklahoma and the are Lips you, and all that stuff. Are you from so. OKC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I moved to Oklahoma City when, uh, well, my parents moved there, I suppose, uh, like right before I was in high school. So okay. I kind of like got my like high school through adult, yeah, tra- you know, trajectory well, there. Can I quickly ask you sure, one yeah. quick question? There's a, I, I have memories of like 1993, kind of around the time of Vaseline, mm-hmm. the Flaming Lips. That yeah, era. yeah. At the Japanese, what was the Japanese gig? The Japanese restaurant gig there. 
So there's what was that? Place yeah, then? there's Sushi Nico, but next door to that, there was like Will Rogers Theater, maybe. Um, that's no, like that's where that's where VZDs is. Oh, VZDs is right over there too. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't know if there was like I don't remember a specifically OKC stuff here, bro. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but I mean, there was like that place. The Blue Note is like another classic long term spot there that the, the Lips kind of played. Too. The Blue Door for that's like singer songwriters. Right? Yeah. And then a lot of the places in Norman, I mean, um, the Lips played there a ton, you know, in the but early I mean, days. Specifically, and I, I remember seeing the video for Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, and I'm like, that's the place. Oh, really? That's I don't the know place if I know where it. I, where I hung out with Wayne, like Mr. Rocket Baby played there. Yeah, yeah. When we first started this band, I was in like the early 90s, and we played there at that place a couple of times. And I remember one time, I remember I thought their name was weird. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then Vaseline came out like right after that or something. Oh, wow. Was like, oh, do you remember like what dude. part of town that was in maybe? Or I can't, I cannot yeah. remember what. I'll have to ask. Town. I bet, you know, Bradley would probably know cause he was hanging around those times for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not totally sure. I, I kind of got my start going to shows there in like the early two thousands was like the green door was maybe around. Um, I think there was like some other club in that same building, before then but that was kind of like the apex place to play and like yeah. all the bands that i kind of you know first remember going to shows it was like there and then we were doing a lot of diy shows because there there weren't a ton of venues right right so we would like we had like convinced this roller rink to like let us use <laughs> the uh laser That's tag so room cool. yeah so cool, and man. then we did like uh we would do like there's a place in um, the South side called book and beat that we would do. We would use their stock room and we would bring speakers and set up and it, um, like post hardcore music and grindcore music was kind of big. My band was more, I was more into like at the drive-in and placebo and stuff okay. like that. So we were, we were kind of just like let into this scene, even though we didn't really sound like it because they were yeah. like, all right, you guys are kind of weird. You can come in and play with us. But it was like, us and then a bunch of bands that would just like scream the whole time which i love i was into that music too but um but it was kind of a weird we've i've always kind of not been doing the thing that ever and and not on not because i like oh, i don't want to be a part of this it's just i've kind of always had this vision of what i've wanted and i feel like my whole life is just, i've just been trying to figure that sound out and i've just kind of stuck to that and whether it's worked or not i can't really say but um we got to do so many cool like diy shows we were playing at like um, the fairgrounds had this art gallery called city arts center and they would just like let us in there. So we'd bring PA speaker and just like pack it out with friends and Oklahoma was kind of like, it has like a, a really amazing music scene, but like it doesn't have the same sort of like support that, you know, and I don't know much about Austin's trajectory, but when I looked at a place like Austin, I was always like, man, I wish I lived someplace like that because so many people, it's like all my favorite bands play there and then they would just sort of drive through Oklahoma and then play someplace else, you know? But then there was kind of this weird time in the early 2000s where it was like, you know, we, we were booking militia group bands to play at like a 75 cap venue and like stay at our, in our parents' basement or something like right, that. Right. And these were the bands that were like playing 300 to 400. They were, they were like headlining at Stubbs, you know, indoor or like sure. Mohawk outdoor even sometimes. And then we would just like beg them and they'd be like, okay, fine. We'll come play the show just to make a couple hundred extra bucks. And then like, right. you know, get to meet some new fans maybe. And so, um, 
I got to meet a ton of bands because of that. But that's what I've always loved about the spirit of like Oklahoma's local music scene is like, um, and I think the Flaming Lips are such a great example That's of that. That's what I was going to say. It's like, they, they carry the flag for yeah, like, hey, it's cool to live here, dude. Totally. Like, yeah. Well, and just like build something. Like yeah. uh, you might not have a scene in the way that you are wanting. So let's build it. Let's start doing shows and like, let's, you know, bring out a, our own fog machine and lighting and then like, uh, you know, do weird shit. That's interesting. Like their parking lot experiments and Zyrica and all of the interesting stuff. I think, it kind of comes from being in a place that, um, and Oklahoma's got a ton now, but you know, when I first was kind of had moved there in the early two thousands, it, you know, it was kind of a struggle to find music and art stuff and it wasn't not happening. It just, there weren't really places for it in the same way right. that there are now right. and, and places like in Austin where there's like an infrastructure that supports artists in that way. And so it was sort of like, all very DIY, which Which I really am. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that because I feel like, you know, even when I first moved here, there's so much music and there's so many venues, but they're all getting booked up by bands that are established. So like, um, it's like, let's play a house party. Let's, let's do weird interesting stuff. And I think like, you know, in a way Austin has that infrastructure and not to say it's gotten so far away from it, but it's kind of like been fortunate and then it doesn't have to remain as DIY as maybe it was at one time. And so I've seen more lately, I feel like, you know, some artists are kind of getting back to that. Like I I saw, I was like Mobley and Urban Heat were doing like a deconstructed concert and I'm like, I'm starting to see some of this really interesting ideas on like, what does it mean to be a live performance and how can we do something interesting besides just like book another show and where four bands play, play right, and right, nobody right, knows, right, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, it's like, how do we, yeah. how do we like bring the audience into this in a way that's like really compelling? So I think that's super cool to see that kind of coming back around. Do you ever sure. know that band Buttercup from San Antonio? Um, I saw them at the Quiet Company Christmas show, actually, I think. They were probably normal there, but their, their yeah, shit yeah. has always <laughs> been like, they do shows at like, God, what did they do? They did like a show at like seven in the morning at a gay bar. That's awesome. Yeah. On a Tuesday. Like it's <laughs> awesome. like just this weird shit. Like they're always like, they do a lot of art, uh, art gallery shows and stuff like that. Just a lot of like, not a band just getting up and playing. Yeah. And that's something I, I really love. I mean, the first record that I came out with that depths record, um, I rented out an art gallery in Oklahoma city and brought in staging and pipe and drape and a PA system. And I wanted it to be like a whole experience. And it was like, I lost a you know fair amount of money, but That's we still packed it out. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, fun to do cool shit, but you can only lose money for so long. Yeah. Like, okay, let's just go back to doing regular shows where we walk out with a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. but it was like we did we didn't do like invite only necessarily, but I had a friend of mine do hand marbled invitations to the show, right. and it was like only 150 people could come in because it was such a small art gallery and. Um, it like looking back on it, like I would do every show that way if I could, but yeah, it's just such a, and it's so time consuming to plan those things. And, but it's just such a, you know, fun thing. And I feel like being in Oklahoma, just like really brought that, you know, up in the sort of spirit of how I have to promote shows. And I think, um, it's something that, you know, I don't, I, I, I feel like other bands, uh, like, I remember seeing, I think it was like Coldplay on their X and Y tour with Fiona Apple. And I remember they came out and they covered a Flaming Lips song. 
and I talked to Scott Booker, who's their manager, the Flaming Lips manager, and he had mentioned that like they were good friends with Wayne. And I remember hearing that Coldplay didn't used to do all the like theatrical stuff. They saw them, and I think, and, in and I don't and know like that, that they wouldn't have yeah. necessarily, but I think like. Yeah. You know, the Flaming Lips are a real inspiration to a lot of major bands in oh, that yeah. way. And it's like yeah. undeniable when you go to their shows. It's just like it feels so immersive. And I think they were so far ahead of the curve with yeah. that. You know, it's like I feel like I remember hearing about a show where they gave everyone in the audience flashlights. And then the, now the audience is the light show, like do stuff you, like that, where it's just kind of. you know about like in 1999 or 2000 or maybe it was like 98, 99, where they did the boombox thing? And they had everybody play a fucking different tape. And it yeah, like it that, was, so that was the parking lot experiment I think okay, I was talking okay. about. Or, so that okay, was sorry, what became sorry. Zyrica. Okay. No, you're good. I, Zyrica, I think, that's right. Yeah. Okay, sorry. And then the, Zyrica was the one where you had to play each CD at the same time. <laughs> and if, if you watch their documentary, which Bradley uh, Beasley had done, but uh, you have to play them all at the same time, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that was kind of. And I think the parking lot experiment was here in Austin. Yeah, it was if at Stubbs. Oh, I really? Think, okay. I think it was at Stubbs. I huh. want to say it was inside even. No. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, dude. I know they did. I know they did like uh, a couple, and I think there's one in a big lot parking lot, and then there's one in a parking garage. But uh, when they originally went to Warner Brothers, I feel like I remember it was like six or eight CDs is what they wanted, and Warner <laughs> Brothers was just like, "Fuck you!" Like, yeah. no way. <laughs> um, but the lips, but the lips were so like they wanted it to happen. And I think again, you, when you just look at like the creative force behind that band and you know, uh, all that they were doing is like, they really pushed for it to happen. And so Z- Zyrica came because they were, yeah, they wanted it to be more. And I think like they were still able to convince, uh, Warner brothers to like do at least half of that, you know? And, right. um, I think, uh, you know, their passion for what they're doing. And obviously Wayne's such a, like a driven human being. It's like, um, they were going to do that. I think whether Warner brothers put it out or not, like they were going to find a way to put this, this cool idea out there. And so same deal. I just, again, you know, probably am hammering at home too much, but I think it was just, that's just such a cool part of living in Oklahoma. It was just like, you had those types of things happening and right. you know um that was kind of what i grew up in and i feel really lucky for having gotten that experience for sure yeah i feel like those guys i remember somebody explaining to me i can't remember who it was but i was on electra of subsidiary of electra they were on warner but it's all one we thing yeah yeah and um somebody was explaining because i i I wanted, like, I was like, they, well, I don't want a lot of money. Just give me a little bit of money and let me just do what I want. And yeah. somebody was like, oh, that's what they, those guys did. Like, yeah. just don't, just don't give us a bunch of money where you're going to be freaking out, breathing down our necks. Just, yeah. we'll give you stuff that we'll sell enough to cover our, our nut, but it's not like. Yeah, we don't need a million dollars. over here, bro. <laughs> yeah. But they've, they've done really well with that. And I mean, really I, well. I think they still they keep grew, that up. And I mean, they, they grew into a, a giant festival headlining dude in a fucking bubble going over you know <laughs> yeah. tens of thousand people's heads like i mean just in, awesome yeah. making records with miley cyrus that record that he did with her like 10 years ago oh yeah, yeah yeah like it only came out on spotify or on soundcloud or something yeah i'm not sure if i remember like the distribution but i definitely remember that time period god that was great and it was cool you'd see miley cyrus like hanging out at the womb which was like their sort of storage space and art gallery that they had for a while so you just go to a 
party like that you would kind of normally go to and then Miley right. Cyrus would be there or like I think Kesha was there at one point for a party <laughs> so and cool, it was just sort of like what's Kesha doing in Oklahoma yeah, City yeah. <laughs> you know but um but yeah it was like that was like a really cool interesting time period but yeah I mean that's just such a did you I, go to school there did you where did how old were you when you put out that first record uh, well, so my first record for this band, um, I did put out when I was still living in Oklahoma city, but much after, so I'm 36 now. Um, my first record that I put out as an artist at all was in high school back in like 2001, I think. Wow. Um, and it was like, kind of like what I was talking about earlier where we had like, uh, like a two powered radio shack, uh, PA heads, you know, like the powered mixer you plug into speakers and we're just sort of like had all these cables just draping between the two of them and then into a tape deck recorder. And, um, was it like a four track or something? Uh, well, it was just a two track, um, master tape recorder, but it was just like a Fostex, you know, whatever. And like most of the channels didn't work on them. So I think we had like (laughs) four or five channels that we could mic up and we just recorded it all live. I think I still have maybe one of the tapes uh, that the demo was made off of, but we didn't have a way to digitize the tape to get it into the computer um, to make CDs from it. So I went to my friend Brian's house, who I thought had the way to do that. And he was like, oh, I gave that to somebody else. Um, but I have a way we can do it. And he put the tape in a boom box and used one of those like gooseneck computer mics to mic the speaker of the tape deck. <laughs> and I think we sold like 50 copies of that horrible tape. That's awesome though. But yeah, I mean, um, and there's probably, I mean, there's probably still some of those floating around, but that we just did them all CDR over at our drummer's mom's house. And, you know, we went to like Best Buy or Walmart when they still sold writable CDs. And then I had a computer printer that would kind of work with like CD labels, but it ran out of ink, you know? And so like most of the CDs just looked like garbage and, but, um, (laughs) I remember, I remember that, that 2001, 2002, like paper label stuck on the thing. Totally. And then like some of the CDs wouldn't play very well if you're writing them all from your computer, but it was sort of a pipe dream in high school to get like actual CD duplication done. But, um, that CD got us into a battle of the bands that then we met a guy who owned a record studio through that. And then he recorded our record. And then, um, we were kind of, not the only band at our high school. There was like one or two others kind of while we were there. And, yeah. Um, but there wasn't really a scene. So we, and I, again, I don't know how it was, you know, here growing up, but it's like, it was kind of like maybe being in a town adjacent to Austin and like having to drive in to play shows here. Sure. So it was like, there was a town up North called Edmond in a weird way. Yeah. It's kind of a fancier part of town, but it's right. like, all of the music was coming out of uh, like uh, Edmund Memorial was like the school that um, a lot of my friends bands like this band tied for second and hopes the carrot. And uh, there was like a few other bands I really kind of like loved and they were all going to school there. And so it was like, I was just trying to get shows with them, but uh, they, we didn't really have a scene at our school. So it was really interesting because we were starting to pull all these, kids into shows and like our friends were like coming to shows 
but they had never been to local concerts in their life because there just was nothing else really going on. So, um, we kind of built, uh, a scene at our school and, and played a lot of shows and then it kind of all started winding up and we got a, like a kind of a, like a merch deal from a local record label that like bought us a bunch of t-shirts and all these kinds of things. And so it was like this really weird thing where it was like, we really weren't that good, but because we were kind of the only band in our area and we right. had like a really big following for like cons- all things considered, we were like a high school band. People already saw dollar signs. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we were like <laughs> yeah. opening for like, you know, all American rejects, like wow. when they were playing yeah, like yeah, 200 yeah. cap shows yeah. and um, like Rufio and noise ratchet and Paris, Texas and Copeland and like a bunch of the early militia group bands in the early two thousands. And, booking those shows, like I was saying through the roller rink where we bring in bands from out of town and yeah. And then we just, they just stay at parents places and our parents would be like, who are these like, you know, 25 year olds that you're bringing over and you just wouldn't ask. You just ask for forgiveness and like hope that, and the band was like, are you sure it's okay if we stay here? And we're like, Oh, they'll be fine. Yeah. They'll, they'll be fine. And so, uh, yeah. So most of my upbringing with music was just, yeah, I was like, fake it till you make it. And, um, but it was just, you know, I loved it and it was something that, you know, it kept me like, I mean, I think in a weird way and that's a whole nother thing, but I think for a lot of people too, it's just sort of like, I had real problems with depression and drug and alcohol and all that use. And like, once I started getting into music, it just like, that was all that mattered to me. And so I just like went in a hundred percent. And so it was like such a positive thing for me that really kept me from, I think a lot of the stuff that a lot of the other people were facing without something to put their time into. Um, and it just made sense to me. So it was like, I did a lot of things, nothing that would like hurt anybody because of it. Um, but like one time I had like lied to my band that, it was okay with our school for us to set up during one of the big like carnival things. And I was like, yeah, they said it's fine. We'll just go set up in this corner. So my band came and we set up a PA system and like just started playing. And then everybody was like, what? Uh, And then like the school administration came and like got me and like, they had like these officers escort me to the principal's office and they were like, we're going to expel you. And I was like for playing music, like, you know, so we played, I think like, three or four songs and then they shut us down. But also, it, then there's a legend. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, know if that, probably and, nobody knows, yeah. but I, for me it was, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was like, we'd made some new fans cause there was like other kids at our school. They were just like, Whoa, this is cool. Like, yeah. Um, so to me it was just, yeah, it was just like fake it to make it and just build what I wanted, which was just more music to get to experience and get to, you know, play and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely like a lot of ingenuity because of like the need for that. And Oklahoma's grown a ton, so I don't mean to come off like it's not got a lot to do now, but, but no, it was a, a bit different back then. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love it there. I actually, there's a guy that's super rich, and we got hired to play someone's wedding. And oh, nice. I didn't know whose who's it was, but we get to this dude's place. I've got some pictures of it. In the middle of Oklahoma City, this rich dude has a man-made lake, like in his backyard, and like a tiki bar, full-on fucking thing. You can put a band in it, oh, wow. it like a seven-person band. Yeah, yeah. It was Wes Welker's fucking wedding. 
Oh my God. The football guy. Yeah, that's who's, crazy. Who's like exactly my size. I have a picture with him. It's very weird to see like a <laughs> very awesome. successful pro- professional football guy that's also 5'7. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, odd. it's odd. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it, but it, like the, it, ever since they got the basketball team and then they got that brick area the yeah, downtown yeah brick area well bricktown's kind of been brick around town. it just wasn't <laughs> it was kind of never really a place you'd want to go and then they started kind of cleaning it up a bit and then they like had some clubs down there and i remember like uh one night it was um i want to say it was like rooney and fallout boy had like gym class heroes opening for them and like some other band i, f- I forget but it was like I remember being out and these two clubs are right next door to each other being out in the street. And there was probably 1500 people out there waiting for these two shows to like open doors. And I remember this was, it was Bricktown live. And when the green door moved to Bricktown and I remember thinking in that moment, like, Holy shit, Oklahoma city is like, cool. Yeah. Like, we we've like made it as a city. Yeah. And like now this is just where it tips and more clubs are going to move downtown and all this stuff. And then it Rock just kind of is becoming in that in Oklahoma city too. Yeah. Rock Oklahoma. I, mean, I think it's like, thing. uh, I think it's like out, uh, out of town though. Uh, I don't know if it's in the Oklahoma city proper, but it might be in like prior or something like that, but it's close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is a big deal. I mean, and that's what, that's what I kind of love about Oklahoma city and even Austin to a degree. It's like, you know, even though some of the scene quote unquote, isn't really getting covered there's still room for bands that are doing new metal there's still room for bands that are doing like all these different genres that maybe like aren't the cool genre at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. but then you go to a show that you're just like oh i don't even probably nobody even plays this or listens to this genre yeah, anymore yeah. and it's yeah. packed yeah and in oklahoma it's kind of like there's still a lot of people that are listening to like some of the bands that have kind of like you know become uncool or whatever now and i mean music kind of comes in waves it's like yeah i think creed's coming back now and they're doing you know but (laughs) but i think like that music's gonna be cool again like at some point like people are gonna start like younger audiences are gonna get exposed to it and they're not gonna have the same sort of like meme idea of what some of these things are that we do and i think it it just it kind of comes in cycles it's like all the emo bands that i kind of grew up loving i remember seeing this kind of wave of like everybody's making fun of them because it's like dumb now, but then now they have that when we were young festival and it's kind of started to like curve back to where it's like this nostalgia factor that you remember your high school days. And, um, there's a lot that goes into the psychology of that, but it's like, you know, and you know, in doing this show, the one thing I have solidified in my mind is I understand the best music to everyone is the music that was happening when they were 12 or whatever they were listening to when they were 12 to 22. Totally. Because you're getting emotions for the first time that you're connecting with these songs. You're like, oh, wait, I feel, I'm feeling that. Yeah. You know? And and you got a lot of time to listen to music. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, you're looking for some way to connect how you feel with the rest of the world yes. and music and art and all those things helps with that. But I think it, it definitely is that way. And as somebody who's a musician, and I think we all kind of struggle with that, and I try to detach myself from that as much as possible because... I've sort of never wanted to be one of those people that's like these youngsters and their garbage music. Cause like me too, it's always, there's always something really interesting music has to offer as it grows. And I remember, you know, my dad 
kind of like talking to me about how like there's never going to be a band as good as the Eagles and there's never going to be a band as good as like uh, the Beach Boys and um, the fucking Eagles aren't as good as the Eagles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. But and, you know, there's never going to be another Eagles. No. But um, at the same time, that doesn't mean that there's not something to be appreciated about some new artist or whatever it is. And it doesn't matter if they're using different technology. It's just like art. It's always expanding. It's always growing. There's always something interesting to be learned from right. it. If you don't just sort of turn yourself off to it and say like, well, this isn't like what I like. Like, right. It, right. Nothing is like what you like and that's great that you have something you enjoy but it doesn't mean it doesn't take away from uh the importance that whatever new arts coming out has to offer for sure i remember a grown-up uh telling me i was a little old maybe 16 or 17 when the song came out but uh i don't want to lose your love oh yeah, yeah okay so i hated that song from the get-go so this song uh, comes on the radio and this guy goes like oh yeah this is gonna be a huge hit before it came out he wasn't kidding yeah. I laughed at him or whatever. Oh, yeah. But then he started telling me, like, this, see, this is the thing. is like, you spend all this time, you listen to, like, Madonna. Madonna's not going to be around in, you know, 20 years. <laughs> like, dude, Madonna's around 40 years later. Yeah. She looks weird as fuck, but she's she's around. Yeah, yeah. See, I saw this meme the other day that said, because I'm that, I'm I'm 55. So, I, this meme was like, could you imagine in, like, 1989 if somebody told you that in 30 years... Roseanne was going to be better looking than Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You would have never believed it in your life. Sure. But anyway, so it's funny because that stuff that does last is actually great and real. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like any artist that, I mean, back to the lips or, you know, I think uh, I've become pretty good friends with Matt Nevesky. It's like Blue October is another one of those bands. that's like they've they still connect with their fans, but like they're still writing and still reinventing st- themselves and still, still making music. Yeah. yeah they're not just resting on their laurels. Totally. It's not just all hate me. They got yeah, a new record. It, it feels yeah. like, it feels like they're genuinely trying, still trying to chase the same thing that they've always been trying to chase. And I love that about yeah. bands like that because like that to me is how you do it. And I, um, one of my favorite band, well, yeah, definitely one of my favorite bands, but uh, Smashing Pumpkins like one of my f- all-time favorites. Yeah. And I, every era that they've had, people will come out and be like, oh, this isn't yeah, as yeah, good yeah. as the, you know, <laughs> but like Adore was like one of my favorite records of all time, yeah. but so many people hate it because it's not rock and roll, but it's also not like right. the dreamy thing, but it's also not, it's like, but to me, it's like, do you really want artists to just keep doing the same thing? Like, I mean, I think as fans of music, like, it's a catch-22 because then people are like, oh, here they are again with another album. Sounds just yeah. like the last one. I hate them. And the regardless, other like, Pitchfork's yeah. going to give it like a 4.2 rating right, and then right. revisit it 10 years later and be like, you know what? This was kind yeah. of a pivotal album. I'm seeing like, a lot of articles like that now. Yeah, like, totally. I'm sorry about what I wrote in 1985 about this yeah. record, but it's great. That yeah. Smash Mouth record was actually... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, and And I think, again, it's just you have to detach yourself from your perception uh because great music is hard to listen to i think i don't think really truthfully great music is something that you sit down and you listen to and you immediately connect with it i feel like that kind of music is music that is it like the reason we like it is because it's familiar which means it sounds too close to something else that we've already heard so like i i encounter this a lot when i'm working with other artists 
where sometimes parents will come to me and they'll be like, I want my kid to be the next Lord. And it's like, well, you're too late. Like your kid should be the next. Like as a producer, your kid. that's what you Yeah. They, okay. they want you to, they want to want sound like, the next Lord. well, they, they, they want them to sound like the next Miley Cyrus or like, or yeah. like have that sound. And, and that's great. And like, you should chase the inspiration and write that. But like, sure through the filter of you should be chasing sounding like the best version of yourself. And I think that that's what really great music has been and always will be because the, and and it's, it's not lucrative um, always because it's so much more luck based, but you're not going to end up being in a situation where you're sort of like another one hit wonder. That's sort of like part of a wave of music where your sound was like someone else. So you got, that's what I've never wanted. I think that's why I've always zagged when people zig totally like you do, because I'm like, I don't want to be caught up in like, like when grunge came out, that's when I started Mr. Rocket baby, like in 1993. And I was like, Hey, let's wear colorful clothes and fucking look way cooler than the audience. Like, like someone you're paying money to look at totally <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean and like and like let's let's fucking let's celebrate yeah absolutely like everyone's bummed out <laughs> like yeah <let's> yeah party. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then then you know i mean it takes a while because everybody's sort of like still on that thing but then when they start seeing your band play they're like oh wow this is really cool and different and then you stand out and you don't necessarily fit in with the other thing but i think that's what's so important about like trying to figure out your thing and chasing that because no one else is ever going to do that like if you're always trying to do what the next cool thing is like you're never you're never really going to find your stride in the way that you will if you're just sort of always digging for what makes you unique and have gives you your perspective and it takes so long to find that it's i mean and that's what sort of creates a divergence between um like making money as an artist and like chasing your art there's like a spectrum between the two and somewhere in the middle is like the happy medium but like it's it's important to have the uh, long-term sight of chasing that down, regardless of if you're doing it for money or not, because I think um, developing your own unique sound is just so important. And I think that's something, again, it's like I'm making the music that I wanted to make when I first started making music at 15. Like every record I feel like I've done gets, gets closer and closer to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's all I want to do. I don't ever, you know, I'll probably never uh, like, make it big or whatever quotation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really worried about that. Um, but it's never really been about that. Once I started this project, it's never really been about that. It's just been sustaining being able to do this and chase it down and continue to, to do that. So not that that has to be everybody else's thing, but I think that's the one thing that's kept me, um, going because I'm never going to find it. Like I'm never going to write the album and be like, cause every time I've been like, Oh shit, like, Maybe that's the best I have. And then I've always, not to say that, you know, subjectively, but like (laughs) for me, I'm more and more proud of like each project because I do go into it scared and I do go into it like not knowing and I just spend the time and try to figure it out and sort it out and come out with something interesting. So kind of full circle, that's what this last album was, was just sort of like a big attempt at that. And it's like a ton of music, but there's so many goals that I there's a track on there that has no tempo uh key signature or anything it's like a little in-between track yeah yeah yeah. and I sent the parts to this horn player and I was like dude look there's no click track there's no just play these notes for this length of time and then I'll build chords out of it and then we'll like make this thing and he was like 
okay. <laughs> but it was just sort of like, I wanted to just do something so disjointed yeah. that it just felt weird and dissonant. And then it pulls you right into the next song. And it was like, it was just so cool to get to do that. And so just doing goals that I had for myself, I guess. Yeah. You really also like, you were able to hit the nail on the head, like as far as like hitting like the pop wise on this record. Cause it, it really like, I mean, there's, you can sing along you, you know what i mean like and you can sing along with everything the guitar solos everything oh sure like, you know Thank what i you. mean all the stuff like that's i love that shit so much and you're yeah. just such a strong writer oh thank you yeah i uh really struggle with that i i think but to me again it's like the vocals and the melody are paramount and so and, and the sound like the feeling of the song um and i i think i kind of like am weird in that like uh you know i i think if in a perfect world i'll know a lot more about music theory and care care a lot more about chord progression and stuff like that but to me i'm just chasing the feeling and the sound too, that yeah. i want to come that's out with using the force yeah there you yeah. go <laughs> yeah man Dude, but, that's, uh, that's the magic but it's like you know funny because then there's times when like i'll show it to the band and they'll be like okay, so you got a two bar here that makes no sense or whatever, but right. it's like all to accommodate the vocal melody or the, like the feeling and, and otherwise it feels too rushed or otherwise it feels too whatever. And I don't really think about, does this make musical sense or does this whatever? I just thinking about the like 15 year old me listening to the song and do I like it? You know, before I knew all of the music and again, not that I know much, but just like before I, my vision was clouded with all this like extra stuff that yeah. I know about music now. Would I have loved this just for the way that it feels to listen to, you know? Yeah. But well, I congratulations. It. You did hit the nail on the head. Like Thank this you. is a great, great, great record. Thank you. And I, honestly, I'm not joking. If you ever need a guitar player. Oh, I appreciate it. I did. Um, there was one song, um, that I brought in, um, another guitar player, this guy, Steve Schlitz, that's actually playing for Blue October now, but he was in that band Long Wave. I think they're still making records and Hurricane Bells. They're, they're on like the Twilight soundtrack. And I know the name Long Wave. Yeah, he's a great guitar player, but um, I had, yeah, this song Thinking Out Loud that I wanted a guitar solo for and I actually found out like after I'd asked him to play it, he's James E. Haw's guitar player. And then he's filled in for the strokes a few times. And it was just like, Oh wow. I was like, Oh my God, all my favorite bands this dude's played guitar <laughs> wow. for. Yeah. And Steve's just such a sweetheart. I'd done some video stuff for him kind of in exchange for his guitar writing, but it, it was really inspiring and really cool. So I, pre I probably would, I mean, I would love to, to work with you on that. Cause I think, sometimes um it's just really refreshing to work with other guitar players oh sure yeah if you ever want to get together and write a song or i was like shit man you should oh that'd be awesome yeah a record for me i don't oh, care that'd be I, super I cool yeah you do so are you that's your your gig at hotspot is doing the video stuff there right uh, I do a lot of things there, okay. but video stuff mainly. I mean, I do some music related stuff. Like I play in a couple of the cover bands and I produce music to some cover, small like, degree. There's a cover that like house bands. Yeah. Kind of. No um, yeah. So there's like a, uh, eighties and nineties and a two thousands cover, different cover sets that we'll do. And, and we never like mix and match in one night that it, I've played anyway. But, um, and then, they were working on doing like a country cover band, but I, I feel like country guitar is like so specific and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just like, I don't know. I play boot scoot and boogie sometimes. I'm like, I don't deserve like, not that, you know, it's kind of a silly song, but like the guitar work on it's like so specific and, and all to that genre. It's like kind of hard to 
for me, I don't have the country upbringing to do like the chicken pick and stuff and the slide guitar and all that. So it's like, I get really, uh, kind of like nervous playing real country music, which maybe boot scoot and boogie isn't real country quote unquote, but, um, in the eighties stuff, what what do you guys do? Like name just a couple songs. Uh, that song you mentioned earlier actually is one of them, but we do, uh, the, I don't want to lose your love tonight. (laughs) Um, well, everybody likes it. Yeah. 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 I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can admit it. But uh but we do like Heart Alone. Um we do like uh you know, some of the like glam like Def Leopard and like Yeah. I mean or it's really like kinda yeah, it's kinda yeah. all over the place. Like the cure and like I try to sneak in a lot of the like new wave stuff that I like. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean we did But it doesn't go over as well. Like in yeah. Skyrocket, me and Benjamin are always like, Oh, let's do uh, a lips like sugar by Echo and the Bunny Man. Like, yeah. Fucking nobody cares. We even did <laughs> yeah. we even did Blue Monday a while ago and people were kinda like looking around like That's didn't huge, really know man. it. Yeah, I mean and the, I was kinda surprised like you know, of course, Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar on Me goes off, but then it's like <laughs> playing it? Blue Monday. No, I don't. Uh, um, this is <laughs> our, our lead singer. Our like lead singer bomb, is a. Uh, come and get it yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, Cat Whitlock, and she's fantastic. So, um, way, way better singer than I am for sure. But she kills it on a lot of the like more vocally intense songs. I just kind of do like the David Bowie and the like more uh like you know weirdo indie guy stuff that my voice works a little yeah 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 um but i mean you know there's other david bowie songs that would be big like heroes or some other stuff that'd be fun to do but it's just fame is a good one like fame is a good one okay cool yeah Yeah, i mean and again it's like 70s though it's so hard for me like because there's so much 80 and i don't always like love the hit hit songs by some of these artists i'll be like the second like the b-side to the hit or whatever and i'm like we should play this song and it's like ah no (laughs) no one's gonna know that it's tough in a cover band because you don't want to be an obscure cover band because you're out there trying to make money yeah so you do have to kind of like lean into the def leppard and outfield jams (laughs) totally and then we're definitely it's definitely like a party band thing and that's what's fun it's like we're you know we're not trying to be prolific musicians. It's just like, we're trying to have fun and have like get people to have fun too. What do you guys play? Like what events do you play? Um, it's just shows there really. I mean, and that's, it kind of all came from sort of, you know, like with St. Loretto, Clayton and I were learning some cover, the drummer and I, my, and my long-term kind of music collaborator and friend, um, you know, we would do covers from that. And then we moved here to Austin from, he, he moved here from Dallas, but he's, we grew up in Oklahoma city together, but, um, we started playing in some other cover bands, um, that he had kind of met through Craigslist and like one of them, um, well, really the only one that I had played in was, is, uh, like on, uh, UTA or whatever the like, uh, booking agency out of New York. And we, we would do like the house of blues circuit and stuff like that. And so it was kind of funny to me cause I'd never really like wanted to do covers necessarily. And, and not that I have anything against it. I was just like, I wanted I don't... to do a cover in my set, but not yeah. do what I do. And to, and for me, yeah. I just was like, I don't know that I have the voice for that. Like I feel I like keep that sticker up there to remember oh, that, awesome. that I've always thought that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it was like, I needed to make some extra money. And I, so I went to this like tryout thinking like, there's no way, like I'm not going to get a call back for sure. And then I got a call back. And the next thing I knew we were kind of like, rehearsing and getting ready for this like so house like of blues a professional run. kind of like corporate band yeah it's like Different, a chaptered yeah. band and like the spasmatics are like kind of yeah. yeah and and so we went and we played like house of blues dallas and it was like sold out and i was like 
Okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so weird and yeah. depressing. That's why I don't go. Yeah. More people go to, it's a sad, man. So many yeah. more people go see Skyrocket and then come see me when I do my thing. And yeah. then the worst is when they do decide to come in, they're like, hey, man, you're not going to sing I Want You to Want Me? No. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, come on, man. Don't come and shit on my, on my, yeah. on my jams, man. Well, and I had, I had done that a couple of times in, in like original band music where uh, we would play covers. And yeah, I mean, people would be like, oh, you guys aren't going to play the Miley Cyrus song that we were doing as a joke to begin with. I mean, and nothing against <laughs> Miley Cyrus, but it was just sort of like no, yeah. funny to have like a avant, like we were playing kind of like really weird avant-garde music at that time. And then to break into Party in the USA right, and then right. go right back into like seven, eight time signature yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people would be like, Miley, Miley. <laughs> and it was just like, dude, we fucked up. Like we should never have done that because now that's what everyone wants to hear. Uh, but then, you know, like it, it really changed my perspective. Those first couple shows doing the cover band thing. Cause we would go play. And then like after the show, some dad would bring his kid up and be like, I always wanted to take my kid to a Nirvana show and oh, I'll never cool. get to, yeah. but like, this is as close as I'll probably ever get. That's awesome. And like, you guys really took it seriously. And like, it is a party band, but like I got the guitar tone, like I'm trying to make it the thing, you know, so that if there are people there, they get that. And, you know, I think like, I don't have kids and I don't know that think that I would ever have them, but I just love that where it's like some parents able to connect with their kid on that and be like, this is this band I really love. And they get to share that mo You know, I never went to concerts with my dad growing up or got to like share music really in that same way. I mean, um, you know, like I said, he, he had like a, one of those like six disc CD changers and it was like, the Eagles hell freezes over tour Santana, <laughs> uh, the beach boys, but like their greatest hits. Yeah, like yeah, I'd never yeah, heard not, pet, not sounds. pet sounds. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then, uh, Sade or Sade, which actually like, I love Sade or Sade. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sade. But Sade yeah. yeah. But dude, holy shit. But that was <laughs> one artist that Sade like, all day, dude. yeah, but I mean, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, we didn't really share like a musical connection. And so it's like when, that happens. It's really cool. Or, or like, um, probably one of my favorite moments ever musically. Um, we opened actually for blue October back in Oklahoma city. And, um, I had mentioned like, I love the cure. I think I'd said like the cure is the best band of all time, which is kind of like a South park reference, but also it's just like, I love the cure. It isn't it. Disintegration is the greatest. Disintegration is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and so we played, uh, I feel feel that way. We played uh, fascination (laughs) street and it was, we were like opening for, yeah, we were opening for, uh, uh, blue October and this guy brought his kid up and he was like, it was great. Cause it was one of those moments where he was like, okay, you love the cure. What's your favorite album? And I was like, well, disintegration is definitely the best, but like, I love pornography. And that, so I like started going and I think it was funny. Cause I think he was like expecting me to like, kind of be like, uh, yeah, I like Friday. I'm in love or what, you right. know what I mean? Like, uh, but it, but then it was like this moment where he was like getting to introduce his kid to the cure through this thing. And his kid yeah, loved blue October awesome. and there was all this like, yeah, yeah. um, and the Justin's just Justin steeped in cure. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel, and that's one thing I love about their music is like, I always hear yeah. that. And I feel like a lot of those, not just the cure, but so much of that new wave music, I feel like, and the like emotional thing, but it's still catchy. And like their songs are like so dark, but like so good. And then, you know, the sort of happy songs are still 
sort of like o- overcoming something. And I yeah. think that's, what's so cool about that band is like, you know, they've, they've always been searching for that and, and it's really inspiring for sure. Yeah. He's, he's an inspiring, they're, they're an inspiring band. He's an inspiring cat. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting to see the connection that he has with his, with his fans. Oh yeah. They're, I mean, and that was like another thing that was so great about opening for them. Cause like we, you know, there's been times where I've opened for, and I'm sure you, I mean, I don't know if you, maybe it's just me, but there's times where you'll open for a bigger band and their fans are just like, mm, I don't know about this. You know, like you go out and there's like 2000 people out there that like, okay, you got to show me you're really good because I just want to see the band I'm here for. But blue October's fans are just so like, they, they know that like, you're not on there by accident. Like blue October was like, cool with you being there so they're cool with you being there and like honestly it's like so cool interacting with them now because like there's still some of their fans that like follow us and keep up with me and stuff like that and and i feel really fortunate and and you know don't take that for granted but it is uh i remember we opened and for all american rejects one time and one of the guys who this was at frontier city the theme park in oklahoma city i don't know if you are familiar with it but um they, they were having concerts there in the summer and we got on a show opening up for them and it was just packed out there and it's just us and all American rejects. So we go out there um, and there's a guy where front of house normally is, but it's like basically VIP for the show. There's no front of house there. Cause I think it's like wireless at this point. And um, he's just flipping us off like for the first half of our set. And I was like, this next song goes out to the guy in VIP, the only guy in VIP for our whole set. Let's all give him a hand. And he's like there with his middle fingers up and he felt so embarrassed. Um, but I just got a total kick out of it. So it's, it's always funny the juxtaposition when you're opening for bands, you know, you just never know if their fans are going to like hate you for no reason or love you. But Blocktober's fans are just such so great. They're just so accepting, you know, and if they are listening, which maybe they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shout out Blocked Over. Some fans. of them that have been longtime fans. Yeah. Might remember 20 years ago when I was vilified on their message board. Oh, Personally, no. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I angered the So fans. maybe you had a different I experience, did, we, I guess. It took a long time to work. It t- took, I remember doing a show where it was me and maybe Nevesky and somebody else, but like, yeah. I, I got that's I a got bummer that. dude yeah. uh, and the I, thing maybe is something's Justin different and I were hanging out and being, but no 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 it was my fault oh okay gotcha. it was uh, 100% my fault uh, another thing was I don't think they understood their fans understood my callous sense of humor oh okay gotcha and so the jokes I was making were <laughs> I, and I didn't know Justin's whole history yeah okay so the gotcha. jokes I was making were callous they were thoughtless and they would have been funny had it not been a, a very serious situation sure. for Justin. Yeah. So that was my bad, but it was it was very uncomfortable oh, being no. disliked by that group of people. Oh yeah, I mean I, they're they're they love Blue October they like do. hardcore. They do. And yeah. They, they, and I deserved. I deserved, <laughs> it did it did make that that night. I made so many people mad that there was a guy from Clear Channel there that night that came up. Oh me, yeah. Introduced himself to me, gave me his card. And then told me I was such an asshole that no matter what I ever did, he would make sure that my music was never played. On oh, my God. That was, you that's must what have said some pretty night. callous shit. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty callous. Crazy. But but that was kind of like my, if you if you knew me. That was me, like your bit, yeah? Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer, <laughs> it was, man. It was it was a weird night. I just yeah. nothing nothing was, uh, and I was drunk. I got there drunk. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and but it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't like I was sure. I, I was sure. just crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it was the next morning. I woke up. My friend Joseph called me, who's best friends with uh, with Justin. Was like, "What did you do?" Oh yesterday? no! I, was like, oh, I went to Houston. I played a show. Uh, this dude drove me, and I came back. I was drunk the whole time. And he's like, "No, no, no, dude." go turn on your computer and go to their message board. And I was like, what? Oh, I was like, no. oh my <laughs> oh, gosh. gosh. Yeah. And then I, yeah. Yeah. It took Justin like having to be like, Hey guys, it, look, we're here. Look, I'm yeah. got my arm around him. He's okay. They're like, I don't know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he did to you to make you be nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah. They're very anyway, protective. Yeah. Very, which I think is, yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, and this, the, the movie that came out most recently, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Their documentary. Yeah. It's, yeah, one of the most uh, moving so fucking good. things yeah. I've ever seen. And that actually, I remember watching it the whole time and like really just beating myself up yeah. for being a dick that night. Well, yeah, and it's such a tough. Th- I mean, I think in now there are a lot of artists that have that kind of like have such a, like a recovery story or, or whatever, and in those kinds of situations, like there you have the party rock and roll vibes, and then you have the recovery rock and roll vibes, and. You know, Blue October is such a great band in terms of like, you know, they're they, they're there. They've got their thing. They're not judgmental. They're not anything at all. But, um, you know, like it's just such an inspiring story. And so, yeah. really you know, is. and it is kind of one of those things where it's like there's definitely times where uh, like my Oklahoma City band, you know, we, we would kind of do more of the like rock and roll party show kind of thing. And so like the first time that we opened up for Blue October... I, I had kind of had talked to Matt and kind of knew a little bit about it. So I wasn't going to get up there and, you know, probably be like, um, getting into the same party stuff because it's just like, not really the vibe, you know right. what I mean? And, um, I'm, I'm not really like into like, uh, drug use or alcohol or anything like that anyway, but it is just weird. Cause some people go to shows for that. And some people sure. go to shows for, the solace and or not solace but the um the sort of safe place that it provides them to kind of get into the music that they love and so for me it's kind of like i want to be respectful of all of it but still have kind of my own thing and i think sometimes you know if you're not aware of like what the environment's going to be um it is kind of hard to just walk into that and be like what's up everybody and you know that kind of thing so uh (laughs) but but for me the balance has always kind of been back to the lips sort of like that it's just like we're here to celebrate we're here to have a safe space everything celebrate yeah let's just say like you and it doesn't have to be drinking your neighbor yeah Yeah, that's but if that's what you want to do like cool whatever but um i think to me it's like you know, being able to, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's like church for those of us who don't go, maybe, you know, or for those who do go, I guess too. But, um, it's just such a, uh, cool space to get to be in. So I always want to be respectful of that, but I also get the rock and roll stuff. There's a lot of people that have that as their vibe. So it's kind of a hard line to toe, kind of trying to find the right way to do it. Cause you also, kind of want to be edgy sometimes and i you know i get that's like kind of hard to like be edgy if you're trying to please everybody it depends on who you are i mean if you're edgy you know the thing is is like i went edgy into that show and that it was him doing his solo acoustic thing and Mm. i was opening for him solo acoustic yeah that's a that'd be a hard one to go edgy on maybe (laughs) i didn't know that i had no you know i'd open i'd done shows with them before but i didn't know him at all i think i met him that night yeah wow that's wild (laughs) What a wild night. Yeah. Anyway, fans of Blue October that have that have 
I like if you still boycott me, that's fine. You're probably not even listening to this. But if you did stop boy, I thank you very much because I did feel very, very, very bad for the things that I said. Once it was explained to me what I had, how I had offended people, I did not feel good about myself. After. <laughs> and I still don't even watching that documentary. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about something else because it really Go for it. Me. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. <laughs> um, so you got this show uh, December 8th at the Hole in the Wall. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if this is coming out before it, but uh, that'll be with with uh, Nolo, Nolo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another Matt cool. Nabeski. Mm-hmm. He wrote me about them. Uh, I love Matt. He's a great guy. What did you guys write together at all on this record? Or um, Matt produced three of the songs okay. uh, that had come out, and actually one of them, um, "Time Goes By," I had written back in like 2011, and I just felt like it never really got its time and so it's kind of been one of those backlogged songs that like i basically gave matt a batch of like 20 songs to listen to and like that song time goes by um uh um oh my god thinking out loud and then um i think there was like one other one and i'm like excuse me spacing on it right now but right. there's a lot of there was one other yeah on it, 16 songs yeah. uh it's like a 90s record late 90s record. yeah well <laughs> it just had to be that i mean for me it just had yeah. to be that way no, it's but, cool, man. but uh yeah so we worked on three songs together um i co-wrote two of the songs with my buddy nick um who has played keys in my band for a while he just moved he's in another group called uh the motion epic that's really cool kind of like synthwave band um, but I'll offer keys to play in your band as well. Oh, but, cool. But I, it just seems like guitar would be so fun to play. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would love that. But and watching uh, you guys too. Oh yeah. Like thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, yeah. So, and then, yeah, I had, uh, Clayton and Alec play on it and then a couple different engineers, um, Taylor Webb, who like does most of my stuff right. here. And then Victor Gaspar, who like recorded, most of the songs, but Taylor mixed and mastered it after everything was done. Doesn't Taylor do a lot of stuff with Dossie? Yeah, he does, he does a lot Dossie of stuff, stuff with yeah. Dossie. He does stuff for Primo the Alien. It's like, kind of does a lot of the pop stuff and synthier stuff, which... Um, I feel like you could do a show with those all of those guys. Yeah, totally. 100%. Well, I am I'm met... Dossie was like one of the first artists I met here. Um, and then we actually used to just get shows together. Like, we kind of had a whole pop group. It was like us, this band Goons. Um, Katie Rain played a few of them with us. Like... It was just kind of she, most of the playing? pop. I think so. I we all kind of lost touch after the pandemic, and some of the bands broke up, and um, we haven't really had the same group um, necessarily. But uh, yeah, I don't. I've kind of lost touch with some of them. I, but like Goons, I'm still friends with. Uh, you know, uh, Dossie and Primo and all that for sure. But yeah. I had a funny Katie Rain experience. There was a, a, a South by Southwest show that I, <laughs> I went to. And as I was walking in, I'm not joking. She was like, if you don't respect pop music and you don't like pop music, there's the fucking door. Get the fuck out of here and go fuck yourself. I've been leaving voicemails. <laughs> That's it was awesome. It's like surreal fucking wow. thing I've ever seen. But it was so funny. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I don't. Like, that was a really interesting way to set up that song. Yeah, that's great. I, I love, I love that kind of attitude. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't seen Katie since then. But yeah, we all just kind of like lost it. We had a little like writers group. We were meeting up for coffee and kind of trying to like build like a pop scene kind of for a little while, and then it just sort of like I feel fell like apart. The pop scene yeah. started happening. 
Yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, I think it definitely has. I think now, metal but... guys now are the ones that are like, "Hey, come on, guys! No one's giving metal anymore." Yeah. Here. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah. I get, I get, I get messages like, hey, "There's no metal guys on your show." Oh, really? Like, wow. Metal guys don't want to. I mean, I'll have metal guys on. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I'll have everyone on. Yeah, it's just like a, it's a tough balance. But yeah, back then, I mean, it was like no one was booking no, that, no, and no. it was like, um, I, I had played a few shows where they're like. I don't know. We'll put you on with a country artist or a DJ or they just, no one really knew what to do with you back then. So. I, al- I also think that we come from such a fucking like, uh, like y- you have to be this tall. To, oh yeah. Like, you got to be able to play. No. You got to be able to do it. And then so the, somebody coming out with like a guitar guy and then like a whole orchestration and tracks and stuff. There's a lot of like, whoa, Millie Vanilli's coming. You know yeah, what I mean? And I gotcha. people start freaking out. And then also, and I, I've seen it change. I feel like PAs mm-hmm. over the last five years have all kind of switched over to something that is sound people understand that someone's going to have tracks. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like there was a period here where there was like a learning curve that it was just moving too fast for yeah. the clubs to get to have pop music and have it sound good. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think... I mean, I struggled a lot to get booked here at first, just regardless. Like, it, it, I mean, I just didn't know anybody. And like, I'm kind of not a schmoozer, really. Um, and so it was kind of hard to like, get to know people because I didn't really want to be like, hey, book my band. I'm in a band, you know, like the same kind of stuff. And well, I just thought you were real nice. You were very friendly with me and invited me to a party. I oh, yeah. Thank you. Well, with. but yeah. I just mean, um, you know, I... I I feel like I have a bit of social anxiety and it's, you know, it's just kind of hard, but, but it's like a weird thing that I think, um, I remember hearing a story about Tim Kasher from cursive kind of had a deal like this where it was like, he was huge in Omaha and then I think moved to Seattle for a while. And it was like really hard because you're trying to get into a whole new music scene. That's like, doesn't really, I mean, doesn't really need you is kind of a harsh way to say it, but But it's it's like, yeah. And so when I first moved here, I had no, uh, like I didn't think like I would just walk into any club and get sure, booked, but sure. it was like, you know, we're opening for like thousand, 2000 cap shows in Oklahoma city and, you know, bringing 200 people to shows. And then, you know, like I know I could bring 30 to 40 people to a show here pretty easily. Like, so I'd hit, you know, I'm not going to name names, I guess, but like some of the clubs up here, um, being yeah. like, Hey, like, can I play on a Monday night? Don't pay me. I just want to get my foot in the door. I'll bring 30 people. Like no. just give us drink tickets or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But they'd be like, hell no. Or they'd just never get back to me. Right. And then Swan Dive was actually one of the few places in town that booked me. Wait, and sure. honestly, yeah, I'm wearing the shirt today. Actually shout out, uh, Swan Dive slash Sean Dive. But, uh, they were super kind, like booked us a ton and let us do our little pop showcases there um, with the other pop groups that were having trouble getting booked other places. And then the clubs that like I had been hitting up for a while, we would like maybe go open a show for one of our friends bands. And then like the same promoter that I had been hitting up over and over and over and over again would be like, man, you guys are great. Why don't you play here more often? And I'm like, dude, just like, you don't want us to. Yeah. I was like, I hit you up on email, which is what you said to do. And then I hit you up on Facebook, which is what you said not to do. But like after 10 emails, it's like, I don't know what to do. And then every time I run into you, you just tell me to email you. So, and I, you know, I'm not trying to complain because I know it's tough for everybody and you got to be top of mind and they got a million people to book with, but you know, being in your like mid thirties and like, just being told or, or like sort of like 
coming from a place where you could get booked all the time and your band was like pretty big and then being here and just begging to get your foot in the door on a Monday night at a place that like then you'll go on a Friday night and there's 10 people there. Like and some it's kind of disheartening, band. you know? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. after a while I kind of just gave up and I was like, I guess I'm only playing at Swan Dive. And so I like just kept booking shows there and then, um, people would occasionally ask us to play elsewhere, but, um, I just have such a sweet spot for that place. So it's like, yeah, I'll always, you know, obviously I'm never going to be huge, but even if I was, I'd still do like a show there, you know, just because it's, I just really appreciate the space that they've created for, something different you know yeah it's funny that fame is so different now than like when i was growing up like you were if someone was famous like you always knew who the person was that was hosting saturday night live like oh yeah kid like you that person was fucking super famous yeah now like i didn't know the fucking i I didn't know the host (laughs) i don't know the music i guess sometimes people can be really famous and a lot of people don't know who they are fame is really weird now yeah totally you know yeah, but I think that's what's like kind of cool. Makes uh, like in some ways it's been really challenging. Um, I, and not that I've ever, you know, I've never thought I would be famous or anything like that. But I mean, like to be successful enough to be able to like continue a music career sure. and yeah, make yeah, music yeah. and, I love and that. have money to do it. Like it doesn't have to look the same, which I think, um, you know, technology's really changed that in a lot of ways. But um, it, it's both like, um, extremely scary at times but then also really cool to know that like the playing field is somewhat leveled that like anybody could write the next hit record and you know um but but i think the 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 sort of like same music industry bullshit uh not to get off on a huge tangent on that but it's like has (laughs) that has always been there is still there just in a different way yeah that's sort of like all the political stuff that's like so hard to continue to operate as an artist um Cause yeah, I mean, even once you make it as an artist, like it's just as hard as it ever was to stay there, you know? Cause like, when are you going to write the next hit record? Like, how do you stay in your spot without, you know, if you find your niche audience and stuff and know how to communicate with them, that's one thing. But if you're just trying to do the music and that's all the only way you connect to your audience, like it's going to be hard. It's funny. I was, uh, I I guess a couple nights after that show, I was with my friend Anar peterson who's uh we used to work together austin music foundation and we oh, cool. ran the artist development program yeah and they the austin music foundations i guess paused right now but they let oh, us okay. all go and uh we were in the middle of choosing the bands for next thing and i was like man i found one of the best bands to have in the thing like your band's so great oh thank you yeah. so much i really, really appreciate it yeah i'm really i'm i was really that night seeing you guys too was just i was just like yeah dude and booer man jesus man this is oh, fucking yeah. incredible yeah, dude, Boo is uh, amazing, honestly. And he, like when he um, asked me to play bass for him, I thought he was just like trying to be nice because I'm just like listening to him and Aaron, like A. Sinclair, right. Aaron Sinclair's music. Like, holy shit. Like, it is just so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like everything about it. And um, so I have like huge imposter syndrome. I feel like every rehearsal that I'm there, I'm just like, I don't I shouldn't even be in this room right now like I don't <laughs> No, but it's cool as a songwriter like you know I mean I've got I do a lot of stuff with other bands too like you know yeah. a band like Fastball that I've admired I spent you know part yeah. of the summer doing dude I've been listening to Fastball guys. a bunch lately yeah yeah and they you know getting to get inside of their songs yeah and be a part of the working thing you really get a sense of like how they work as yeah writers. totally so that's a cool thing you know yeah it's super cool um 
but yeah, it is like an interesting thing. And it's kind of cool. I mean, I like playing bass because I'm kind of like not having to be the like guy. You know what I mean? Like no one really wants to talk to me after My the God. show. <laughs> I could just like, I mean, not that I'm, I don't like meeting people, but I mean, it's kind of refreshing to just get off stage and like go <laughs> get something to eat or like, you know, because uh, at my shows, I'm always like the first person there and the last person to leave because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk to everybody yeah. who's there. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. But it's also like, a, like, a, it can be pretty taxing at, you know, at times to, to kind of like be that person. And so it's kind of nice to get to play music and then just like get to chill and not have to worry about like all of the tearing down the merch table and, you know, yeah, yeah. No, it's, settling it's, up yeah. and doing all that other stuff. So, so those fastball shows, there was like the, the, the sort of like, oh yeah, I'm, cause they'd be like, Hey, where's the band? And you're like, well, Oh, they're back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you, <laughs> you mean go. mean the guys you want to see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The people yeah, you actually care about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were in the band too. Yeah. yeah there yeah, you go. Like yeah. Guy over there. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's cool. I bet they're yeah. probably super fun to play with. I've, I've worked fun. with them a couple of times on like some video stuff, and they're they're just such like, and it's just such a cool thing. Like, get. I'm uh, obviously a fan of theirs, and like, I'm I'm a really big fan of like Everclear too, which you know I they've know, had a really interesting trajectory. Yeah. For sure, but it's like, uh, you know, it would just be so interesting to get to like be around Art Alexakis and and the way that I've kind of been around fastball and getting to see them, yeah. Um, because it's just like, again, like really amazing songwriters, but just like great, you know, people in person too. It was, it was, it was, it was awesome. Like I've been friends with those dudes for, I mean, Tony for twenty nine years, but the, yeah, but Miles and uh and and Joey for over thirty years, yeah, and they're you know it was it was really fun like oh, i hang awesome. out with them anyway yeah like miles and i hang out a lot that's awesome people. yeah so it was it was just fun getting to be with your friends that's great. um dude i cannot tell you everyone get out there check out saintloretto.com the album's called blooming there are other records out there um and i liked your single uh your christmas your christmas song christmas you wrote that christmas morning oh uh Is that your song yeah the, the one that came out last year i think yeah. i have a r even more depressing one coming out this year so <laughs> uh i won't take up too much more time but the uh so i write a christmas song every year for the uh uh humane society or okc humane um which is like or OK Humane, so, so, oh, so nice. sorry. OK Humane is who I write the song for every year. But they do a big charity Yule Log thing, and they're doing one this year. Um, and I don't know. I can send you a link to that if this comes out around Christmas or something. But um, they do it, and then you can sort of sponsor... Um, through purchasing the Yule Log video and it's like puppies and kitties playing together, but then all this Christmas music. And I've been really fortunate. Um, my friend Rachel runs the sort of like whole bit for this Yule Log thing they do every year and it raises money for the shelter and they use the money to do a lot of good for animals in Oklahoma city. And it's just sort of a tradition for me and I, Rachel and I are great friends. So I've always been happy to send music their way but um they bring a lot of artists on to do that so i'll be submitting another one this year but yeah there's a few christmas songs out there i've done awesome. each year usually they're pretty depressing but <laughs> yeah yeah that's all right man i like a depressing christmas song <laughs> i mean all the other songs are fun so you got to have one for the people who are like i'm into new christmas songs i don't yeah. i can't i can't do the and they're already going like oh, they're already yeah. at places. Like you walk in, you're like, no, 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 come I on. I still man. want the Halloween songs, <laughs> which yeah, I mean, they're like, yeah, way. yeah, yeah. S Cindy Lauper or something. Give me something. Yeah. Um, all right. So St. Loretto is a band. You can find them at St. Loretto.com. The record is called blooming. Uh, uh, hopefully if this comes out before December 8th, they'll be playing with Nolo, who is probably also on the show that week. And um, yeah, 
dude, great talking to you. Great oh, having thanks so much show. for having me on. I really yeah. appreciate it, Johnny. Yeah. 100%. I love your band. I love your album. And honestly, if you need a guitar player or even a keyboard player, I'll do <laughs> either one. It. But Because your music busts me. Oh, yeah, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. Gang, that was Evan Crowley from the band St. Loretto. I love this band and I love this record, Blooming. Get out there and check it out now wherever it is you stream and download music. And see them next Friday, December 8th at the Hole in the Wall with our friends Nolo. Go to stloretto.com for all of your St. Loretto needs. And gang, don't forget when you're out there checking out stloretto.com. You can follow this podcast and subscribe to it wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. You can find it on Amazon. You can ask your Alexa to play it. You can ask your Google Nest to play it. You can ask them anything and they'll do it, dude. These are robots and they work for you. Also subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, Leave a comment. You can follow us on Facebook. How did I get here? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Johnny Gowdy. Have a great week. We have another show coming up on Friday. Oh my God, Friday. Oh, shit. Listen to this. If you ever wondered where uh, the term live music capital of the world came from, my friend is the one who coined it. And she's going to be on the show on Friday. It's a big show. Oh, my God. Nancy Copland. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of my friend Evan Crowley's band, St. Loretto, and this song, Feel It. Let's get down. Not to feel it